You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we journey through the needed conversation so that we can live, lead, and love better in this life. I'm your host, San, and I'm so glad to be with you today. Why? Because we're going to get free, fam. See, today we're talking about lust. That's right. Now, is it me or do some words just mean what they sound like? You know, lust. Like just saying it gives you an idea of what it's about. But we're in detox mode, so you know what that means, right? It's got to go. Now we're talking three things that makes lust so harmful and three ways to get out. Now it's already getting hot in here, but keep on all your clothes. Amen? (laughs) You ready? Let's work. everybody doing? I want to periodically check in. We're still knee deep in a quarantine and truthfully, I don't see an end in sight. I know it's coming, but I can't tell you when that is. See, there's chaos and calamity everywhere. I've been praying for Beirut and the people of Lebanon ever since hearing about the explosion last week. It was so troubling just to see some of the imagery. And I'm trusting the Lord, though, at the same time to send aid and resources over there. And I'm asking him to tear down corruption and neglectful leadership and to send help to the thousands of people who are now homeless or displaced because of this tragedy. And I've been praying for you. Yes, you fam, what you mean? See, my prayer is that God make himself known in deeper and more fulfilling ways to you that as we courageously take steps to heal, that he continue to be Emmanuel, the God that is with us in this journey of being more like him. My prayer is that your faith fail not, no matter who is celebrating whatever the lie is that culture is currently in love with. My prayer is that you see transformation no longer as an issue of impossible meritocracy, but as an additional benefit of being a believer of his finished work of Calvary. See, I'm praying for you. Now, somebody pray for me because this topic of lust is going to get real. Lord, help. Let's start with definitions. That way we've got equity in our understanding. A basic dictionary inquiry describes lust as a very strong sexual desire, a passionate desire for something. And within a biblical context, lust is a carnal, sensual appetite regarded as sinful because it is. Now, here's a few more observations about lust. Lust is seductive. It forces us inward. It makes us even more selfish and crafty. It's one of the enemy's favorite weapons that he uses against the saints. It's a high that we try to achieve. And once it's reached, it fades and the crash can be emotionally devastating. Lust angrily cries out in the body whenever a boundary is placed. Now, to be clear, lust is not only a sexual issue. So you can lust for power, for money, for status, material possessions like a car, a house, among other things. But lust is fueled by the forbidden. 
In other words, the more I'm not supposed to touch it, the more I want to touch it. Not because I even see real value in it, but because it goes back to my sin nature that agrees with the enemy's sentiments in Genesis 3. Did God really say that? Let me eat this fruit real quick. That's what lust does. Now, here's my definition of lust. Lust is the emotional and physical tantrum occurring within a disordered soul who has already decided that what she wants matters more than what she truly needs. Now that we've got that settled, let's dive deeper. How is lust harmful? There are many that believe since the word passion is included in its definition, it can't be that bad. I mean, the world tells us that all the time. Follow your passions, chase after it. Another description, wanderlust, like just do and go. So it's just wanting something, right? But it's not. And here are three ways that identify how lust hurts us. Number one, lust lies to us. It distorts our desires. Now, think about it. Some of us, we're constantly finding ourselves in this needy state where we believe if we just have that one or two or three things that we really, really want, then life will be better. Now, it's nothing wrong with having a desire. The issue occurs when the desire becomes insatiable and then we'll do anything within our power to get it. Now we've crossed over into lust. It's a distortion and it's lying to us because many of us have seen millionaires, uh, people who have tons of money and fame and all of that. They're still incredibly miserable. So having something doesn't mean it'll satisfy. Lust lies to us. Number two, lust is a thief. Its goal is to rob you of a good future by compromising yourself in the present and then chaining you to your past with memories of what was done. Plus, you ever notice after acting out in lust, the shame is so great, it tries to muzzle you, tries to damper your worship and cause you to second guess your ability to witness. Lust is a one-way ticket to condemnation corner. Number three, lust is never, ever, ever, ever satisfied. And if you find yourself thinking that once you have the thing you want so badly, you'll finally be satisfied, just remember, number one, it's lying. <laughs> Amen again. The more you feed it, the more you fuel it, lust simply expands its insatiable appetite. But the inverse of this, it's good news. Because see, if you can feed your lust, then you can starve it too. Now, 1 Peter 2 and 11 and 1 John 2, 15 are just a couple of scriptures that expound on the dangers of lust that you can check out in your spare time. But I want to talk about 1 John 2, 15 through 17 real quick. When John talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, he's describing the access points that make lust so tantalizing for us. The desire that we will look like the desire that what we will look like to others, how we'll be revered and regarded in society, and the falsehoods that this world can give us what will truly make our souls full, that's what we think lust fulfilled will provide. But John reminds us not to play ourselves. As believers, we can't love those things, you know, the things that the world offers, and say we're of God. 
Now, I know the world does an exceptional job of making it seem like this is true, but only the Bible is true. No matter the situation or dynamic, we can never have both. We'll either love Jesus or love the world. So who do you love? And if you started singing, are you for sure? After my question, that's worldly. You better find that altar. (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was a joke for anyone who listened to the 90s. What is it? R&B? I don't remember. Anyway, let's let's keep digging. So I'm stopping. Okay. Lust often will stem from covetousness, self-indulgence and resentment. It can be fueled by emotions of disappointment, discouragement, feeling small in life and needing to be perceived a certain way sometimes boredom or even anger. Now, it's important to keep a watch over our emotions so we can know what could potentially become a trigger and lead us towards a bad decision. Okay, San, so you explained lust and how it's harmful. Now, how do we get out of it? Fam, I'm so glad you asked. (laughs) Here are three ways that we can overcome lust, but it really all stems from one word, faith. Now, I know, I know, but I'm not being ridiculous. See, let me explain. While we have these triggers of lust and emotional turmoil, the execution of our lust, it's always, always from a place of belief. We believe, no matter how incorrectly, that whatever we're desiring will scratch the itch. It will salve the wound and satisfy our souls. But it doesn't. Why? Because lust is sin, and that's simply not how sin works. Now, sin has a job and a significant part of that job is to deceive us into thinking that completing this act will fill the void, that it'll make us feel better and give us what we're after in the moment. And I'm not going to lie, there will be pleasure, even if it's fleeting and corrosive to the soul. But see, not all pleasure is worth pursuing, especially if that pleasure begins to control you. See, then it's no longer just pursuing pleasure or having fun, now you've moved into bondage. The idea that I can be controlled by the feelings I think I need to feel sounds like a life of misery to me. But the act of lust, it's just that. I'm putting my hopes in the pleasures of this world to provide satisfaction to my soul. But it will never work. So what can I do? Well, like Paul says in Romans 7, 24 and 25, who's going to save me from this body of death? How will I get out of here? To put it simply, we've got to move out of lust into longing. And here are the three ways we can do that. Resist, receive, renew. Resist. Now, James didn't mince his words when he explains the plan of freedom in chapter four of his letter. We've got to resist the devil. Now, attached to the instruction is a conditional promise. If we resist him and all the doubt and deception he throws our way, he's going to run from us. Now, the word resist in the Greek, it's actually two words, stand and against. And it's funny because we understand this concept of resistance if we apply it to working out, specifically lifting weights. San, where you at? Get back to it. (laughs) But if I'm bearing a weight that's heavy, it's challenging me. It's literally ripping the fibers in my muscles. But at the same time, it's making me stronger. It's giving me health in my body. So it is in the spirit. 
See, resisting him is no walk in the park. Let's be clear. But the promises are so much greater than the discomfort and the benefits are strength and deep communion with Jesus. So as you continue to stand against the tactics of the enemy, the promise for you is that he'll never be able to conquer you. But it takes faith. You believe that? Receive. Salvation is both the act of rescue and the invitation to a new life. This newness suggests that whatever was in my past is now dead to me as I walk towards a future filled with hope, joy, and knowledge. Now, these are just a small number of the countless benefits of being a child of God. So to put it plainly, salvation is a gift. And like any gift, it's only able to operate in my life if I receive it. (laughs) Colossians 3.10 says, we are new creatures being renewed in knowledge in the image of God. We will never truly walk away from the bondage of lust and the shame of our past if we don't cling to the knowledge of who God really is in our lives. We're perishing because of lack of knowledge, literally wasting away because of ignorance. If we want to overcome the lust that's always overcoming us, we've got to let the scriptures wash over us daily. Allow the sword of the spirit to cut away the dead places and the willful ignorance and ask Holy Spirit to replenish our hearts with his healing truth. There's no other way. We can spend time receiving truth to our souls to uproot its corruption. There's no way around this. What do the scriptures have to say about who God is and therefore who we are? Now, do you believe this? It takes faith. Renew. This is where lust is replaced with longing, longing for Jesus. And I don't mean this in the empty rhetoric that people use so often. Oh, just love him. Just show up to church and serve him more. No, no, no. That has its place, but it's bigger than that. What I mean is with the same fervor and passion that we have to pursue a thing that is robbing us of life, pursue the one who gives life. So if you're struggling with lust, That's an issue of misguided belief that lust can do for you what only Jesus can. And personal renewal is the outcome of living this truth. Do you believe it? See, if we're not focused on being renewed in the mind by the knowledge of God, we'll be subject or slave to the lust of our passions. Now, let's play that all the way through. If I become a slave to what I lust after, I will become the thing that I worship. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself here because I'm really trying to save this for season two. But it is true that we are what we love. I'm reading this great book by the same phrase, You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith, and it's wrecking me. And some of what he says is this. What we worship is what forms us and it forms us spiritually, which influences all the other areas of our lives. So if I've made the decision to indulge in my lust, What does that say about what my heart truly loves? Now, there's no shame, but let's get free. Because the truth is this, the more that I love Jesus, the more I long for him, the more I'll worship him. And the more I'll worship him, the more I'll become just like him. And this is the glorious mystery of true transformation occurring in the soul. This is how renewal comes alive. 
Now, life with Jesus is one that constantly bears fruit. One of the fruits described is self-control. So, of course, temptations will come. And I hope you can hear me healthily. I'm not saying that all of your lust is going to go away. You'll never be tempted again. No, but I am saying that Jesus lets me know that every single person that hungers and thirsts, to say it another way, everyone who longs for him will be filled and filled to the overflow. So moving from the pit of lust and into longing is a matter of where I'm placing my belief. See, this is not an episode of coddling. We can't make excuses for this. We're not victims to sin, but active participants. Now, this shouldn't upset you. It should empower you to know that we can make the choice to control our flesh. We can go tell it to have a seat. We can hang up that phone. We can delete the pictures or the text thread. We can change our number. We can, but we won't if we're not willing to acknowledge that we can't do this in our own strength, fam. Like we have to switch where we've placed our faith. We have to switch what holds our attention. If I think I can handle this in my own strength, I'm going to fail every single time. But if I've made Jesus the resting place of my faith, the target of my longing, and I trust him to be my need meter and my soul satisfier, won't he do those things? This longing, this thirsting, this desire and passion, it's real. It's to be with the father. You remember the one who rescued you when you were super deep, deep, deep down in that pit with no possible option or way out. You remember that? And yet there he was once again, making a way in the wilderness. He cleaned you up so good. No one would ever know your story if you didn't share it. The universe didn't do that for you, boo. Now, you remember when he protected you physically, emotionally, and mentally in ways you can't even share with your closest folk? Now, sure, there's a few things that we can try and say we did on our own accord, but that protection? Oh, no, that's only God. You remember when he healed you from that unknown disease and kept your mind during that season that it was too, too close to the edge of insanity? You remember? See, time and time and time again, Jesus, the rescuer, the helper, the healer and lover of our souls is right there making the crooked straight and working out what worries us. It's not a burden. It's his delight to do so. This is the kind of relationship that brings fulfillment, joy and satisfaction to our souls. This is the place of love where our souls finds a home. And see, this is the covenant relationship, not the consumeristic, what can you do for me, using it up until there's nothing left. This covenant relationship is worth longing for. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Revelations 21, 3 and 5, 3 through 5, where John writes this, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Here it is, fam. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the former things have passed away. Now, do you know what that means to have God wipe away our tears? 
Look at how close he's got to be to do that. Look at the intimacy of that act. Look at the promise fulfilled. Every single thing that was wrong, my father is going to make it right. He's going to make it all new. He's going to make it better. Now, when you put this up against whatever thing of the flesh is being flaunted in front of us, it doesn't even matter. It cannot be compared to the promise that is and is to come in him. Being with him at home and at peace and at rest, our dwelling place. This is what we long for. And if we continue in this walk as pilgrims passing through, loving him and loving others as he commands, trusting him entirely, we'll get there one day. So let's keep doing the work and get there. Now, before I get into my question, I want to leave you with a quote about lust from the great Charles Spurgeon. (laughs) I know he's two for two because I just quoted him last week. But what can I say? He's got the goods. So on the topic of lust, Spurgeon says this. This is the tragic irony of the life lived after worldly and fleshly desires. It never reaches the goal it gives everything for. I'm going to say that last clause again. It never reaches the goal that it gives everything for. Whew, what a loss. Now, here's my question. How does my longing shape who I am and who I'm becoming? Thank you for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be so honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul-hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. Now check out our website, soulworkwithsob.com for more thoughts. We're on Facebook and I'm starting to get the hang of IG. Bear with me. And we're at Soul Work With Son. I'd love to hear from you. So email me. Thanks to some of you who've already been reaching out. I love it and I'm responding. Email at hello at soulworkwithsan.com. That's hello at soulworkwithsan.com. Now we've got a Q&A bonus episode coming up in a few. So if you have any questions, you can email to that address too. Now remember fam, you're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon.